Welcome to the Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our goal to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Thank you so much for checking out the Get Heard podcast. This is the first ever guest I'm having on a show. So Mr. Tom Hart, the host of the Trashing Growth and Income podcast, where he and I talk about leadership, public speaking, some tips and tricks that both he and I use to become better, more effective public speakers. We're both currently military officers. I'm in the Army. He's in the Air Force. And we really talk about the importance of public speaking and how one presents his or herself. So thank you so much for joining. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And without further ado, here's the interview with Mr. Tom Hart. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Get Heard podcast with Ian Roth. I have my first ever host today, Mr. Tom Hart from the Traction Growth and Income podcast. How are you doing today, Tom? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. Uh, after you told me it was the, the first person being interviewed, I, I thought there, there's big shoes to fill. So I hope I, I live up <laughs> to the expectations. There were hundreds of people lining up, man, and, and you were the first <laughs> one. So you should sleep so well tonight. Knowing Had to beat that. the rush. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you so much for coming on. And before we get into everything, uh, just tell the listeners about what you're doing on the Traction Growth and Income podcast. Yeah, yeah. The, the Traction Growth and Income podcast is about how to learn to turn your creative passions into a digital business. And so we evaluate, uh, just like the, the title says, what people have done successfully with regard to traction, growth, and income. Try to give you practical steps that you can apply for your creative passions to help turn that into a revenue stream to, to where you can eventually uh, have that as your sole source of income. Yeah, awesome. And I can tell you this podcast, the Get Heard podcast, I can attribute a lot of that to listening to your podcast. So I I thank you so much. All the stuff you're putting out there is just so great. It really got me thinking about a lot of stuff. And that's what really made me pivot from what I was doing before to this podcast. So listeners, if you haven't checked them out yet, please go on whatever podcast platform you listen to. Check out Tom and it's worked for me and he's putting out awesome stuff. There's no higher compliment. I, I really appreciate it, Ian. Keep up the good work, man. And that is, it's like my personal battle battle rhythm. Every time I go to Ohio, I download as many episodes of yours that I haven't listened to, queue them up in the van and just get the drive going. So again, awesome stuff. And I'm so excited to have you on the show. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. And hopefully I can uh, communicate some some lessons learned from the past Uh uh, I know we're going to talk about, you know, uh, public speaking and, and leadership, um, but hopefully I can, uh, I can help answer any questions and uh, add value uh, as much as possible. Yeah, outstanding. And thanks again, man. So uh, let's dive right into it. So you and I are both in similar career fields, right? Yeah, yeah, both in the military. Both in the military. And I've had the absolute privilege of not only briefing, presenting to a variety of different people, non-commissioned officers, other officers, senior field grade officers, and have seen my peers do so. And I've just noticed not only some outstanding, phenomenal, charismatic speakers, but I've also noticed some people who maybe need some coaching in the, in the subject of public speaking. Do you have a similar experience? I do. Yeah. And it's interesting because you can always tell the better speakers apart, um, whether it's, it's in uniform, whether it's 
uh, in public and uh, they're a civilian speaker, you can tell them apart because of their experience. And I think because of how well they can communicate a story and emotion. And it's funny to me because whenever I see like an E5 give a speech versus uh, an O7, you can really see the distinction because of how practiced these generals are and, uh, you know, how, uh, how effective they've gotten at communicating story uh, just because it's, it's part of the job description, especially when you're leading. I know you, you talk a lot about leadership, but part of leadership is, to, is being able to communicate well and to think and, and speak clearly. And uh, to your point, um, I, I see a lot. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy. It's not just me um, because I didn't really realize the disparity between really solid, effective communicators and kind of where I was a year, year and a half ago being a poor to mediocre communicator until one of my mentors pulled me aside and started coaching me and telling me some of the things that I was doing that I had quite honestly, no idea that I was doing. And, you know, going through that and through his help, I've really become so much more self-confident and confident in front of people. So how do you feel maybe on a scale of one to 10? How comfortable are you when you have to give a presentation in front of a group of people? So it's, it's funny. I, I used to tell myself that if I ever had to be in a position where I taught a class uh, after graduating from undergrad, I, I told myself that I felt bad, badly for, for anyone that had to endure the painstaking presentation that I would give because of how poor a communicator I was. And in undergrad, I, I, I did debate. So I did policy debate for three years, and that really helped hone my communication skills. But it was mostly speed speaking, and I still have to uh, notice myself when I pick up the pace too quickly. Uh, so I, I'm very, very accustomed to speaking quickly. And it wasn't until I was forced to become an instructor for the Air Force. So my last assignment, I was an instructor for ROTC, so Air Force ROTC. Awesome. Um, and so I did that for two years at the University of Texas. And I was incredibly nervous when I started. My confidence, if I were to rate it from a 1 to 10, was a 1 or 0 to 10. It would, it would have been a 1. I just felt so awful uh, for the cadets that had to have me as an instructor. But they 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 help you. So you 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 go through this this basic course of how to how to teach, and they have you watch yourself, and they have you think about uh, the verbal tics that you have and the communication style that you you have, and how you can improve your lesson plan. And so they they kind of get everyone's shot group closer together, so that uh, you can feel more confident about your communication style and and be a better teacher, frankly. And uh, that experience, I started off probably very poorly at first uh, as an instructor. And I was very, very uncomfortable. I think I was sweating bullets the first day of class. And it was only 15 or 20 cadets. And and not only that, they're, they're freshmen in college, so they don't know what to expect. But I was incredibly nervous. And uh, I'm thankful now that I had that opportunity because uh, from the first day of class to the last day of class before I PCSed, I felt a distinct change. And I think starting the podcast had a little bit to do with it as well, but it helped me to become a better communicator to, to now I feel more comfortable speaking in front of people because I, I'm more practiced uh, under, the, under the pressure of speaking with people in public and having a sense of confidence, even if it might not feel like I have that sense of confidence. And you just have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable uh, while being in front of people. And so from the start of ROTC to the end of ROTC, I'd say I gained like six confidence points in, in speaking in front of people 
Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now. It, it depends on the size of the audience as well. If I were hired to speak professionally, that would be like a another tier of of speaking that I hadn't uh, done in the past. And so sure, there would be a, another level of uncertainty. But um, I feel much more confident now, being having been forced to do it as a as a day job now than I I ever was in the past. And and yeah, and so I think a lot of it comes from getting the experience, forcing yourself to be uncomfortable. And if I weren't forced to be an instructor, I never would have had the confidence that I have now. Yes, definitely. I totally agree with the forcing yourself to be uncomfortable part. It, it's like that no, not only with speaking, but like every facet of, of getting growth into your life. That's really the best way to grow as a person and as an individual is put yourself in those uncomfortable situations. So it sounds like that was a blessing. Getting that assignment was a blessing for you. It was. It really was. Not only because of the location, but because of the the skills that I took away from it. Yeah. Was there a moment or maybe a, a small period of time, maybe a specific semester where you really kind of had that epiphany moment that maybe outer body experience where you kind of realized that maybe I, I am a poor public speaker and I need to start getting better at it? I think I realized that maybe the first or second day that I oh, was yeah. teaching. Okay. Yeah. Um, because, well, so I went into it thinking that it was going to be a conversation and I thought that there would be a lot of good back and forth. And when there wasn't, I was kind of left grasping for straws, trying to figure out what I was going to say the first day, first and second days of class. And I realized it was going to be more of a monologue or diatribe because honestly, college students and, and, even most audiences, I would say, are just waiting to be led. They're waiting to hear what you have to say. They're not necessarily going to question what you say and be engaged in the conversation. I, I've just found that to be the case for 80% of audiences. They're waiting to hear what what's the, the, the point of the lesson. What's, what's the theme that you're trying to get across and communicate? And sure, it, it was a university setting where they, they were in a classroom, but you have to be a leader even while you're instructing, even while you're presenting. And you're not going to have that back and forth, that give and take like you would in a conversation. And that's what I was really expecting. And I felt like someone had pulled the rug out from under me because it was just on me. But shortly after, I, I, I gained confidence in myself because once they did start asking questions, I felt more confident in the knowledge that I had based on what I was able to pull from from my previous experiences. And so that gave me some more confidence uh, going into it. But initially, yeah, it, it was a reality check. I, I really had to, um, you know, look at myself in the mirror and, and, and convince myself that, you know, I had the knowledge and, and that I was able to speak effectively to where I could, you know, properly educate these kids that are, are, you know, looking for knowledge. They're looking, uh, they're looking for how to become, you know, uh, an officer in the military. And, and so that's what they're there for. Awesome. And I know, and I think you'll agree to this, but one of the most uncomfortable things when you're speaking to a group and it's common, especially if you're in front of people is silence. You have to get comfortable and used to that silence. Like when you stop talking, like there's just silence and you have to just kind of look around, make eye contact and accept that that is a part of the communication that that's going on. And I know that was very hard for me to deal with at first. And mm -hmm. I would, I would just keep talking really, really fast to try to minimize those little blocks of silence because it was awkward and kind of freaked me out a little bit, but yeah, you bring a lot of good points. That is very, um, very different 
instructing, like you said, you did is very different than just having the conversation. So that's great. You were able to notice that and build upon it and become a better speaker for it. Mm -hmm. So going into that um, instructing, or if you know you're going to give a presentation, what are some of the things that you do to prepare or advice that you can recommend to listeners in preparing for giving a speech or a presentation in front of a group? Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing you want to avoid is memorizing. And people might say that you need to memorize. Yes. And for a TEDx speak or a speech, I, I may suggest memorizing your entire presentation. But at that level, it's completely different. The expectations are different. Uh, but as a as a first time speaker or someone giving a presentation, the thing that you need to remember is just know your your presentation. Know the, know the theme of the presentation, the bullet points. Don't memorize anything because you want to be able to talk about the points and you don't want to be perceived as a robot. Uh, so is the first thing is is avoid memorizing and and just simply know the material. And I would say know 80% of the material because you can base a lot of discussion off of that 80%. Uh, the second thing is watch your verbal tics because you'll if you don't notice them, it will just happen naturally. And if you can pay attention to that and create a filler, it might be a pause. Uh, pregnant pauses are great for that. Pauses are absolutely great. I agree. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to fill these these gaps, these voids with ums or, or ahs just to feel like you're keeping the momentum alive. Uh, so that's the second thing. You can you can say uhs or ums if it's appropriate, but just avoid them as much as you possibly can. And then the third is just storytelling. You want to communicate as best as you possibly can. And our brains, our croc brains, or what I call them, our ancient brains, are most appropriately, they're designed to follow story. They're designed to follow an arc. And so you want to make sure that you're telling a compelling narrative in story. And that's how you can get across 95% of the content that you're trying to relay to that person's brain. So making sure that it's compelling and having a story or having a theme where they can watch this arc. Why is it important to them? Why, why is the, the main point of this, of this presentation that you're telling them worthy of their time and, and, you know, tell it to them and in, in, in story if you possibly can, so that it can it can pass through that barrier and and uh, they can they can download that information to their brain. So those are the those are the three things that I would recommend. Yeah, those those last two, the filler words and the storytelling. Man, like if I had to pick, especially the filler words. But if I had to pick, like anything when it comes to public speaking, I would say filler words. And I'm so glad you brought that up because. I had no idea how many ums and likes and ahs I was saying until I started recording myself, mm -hmm. video, audio. And when I was in Afghanistan, my like best friend, he and I would give briefs every day to one of the commanding officers, little four minute battle update brief. So a real quick bottom line up front, high level overview of what's going on. So in four minutes, I counted for him. He said, um, 32 times. Wow. And I talk about this in episode <laughs> one. I know. And the thing is, I, I asked him afterwards, like, hey, man, you, and you like to say, um, right? How many times do you think you said, um, he said, like, oh, probably 10 or 12. No, dude, 32 times in four minutes. That is like an um every three seconds or something like that. So mm -hmm. we have no idea that we're doing these things because it's just so natural to us. And after I videotaped myself a few times, I just started catching myself with those ums and putting a pause in there instead. 
So mm-hmm. not only it, uh, there's a pause in there and it just gives me a fraction of a second to kind of get my thoughts together for the next thing that I'm going to say. So I'm very deliberate and I try to be sequential when I'm talking. So yes, I think that's awesome that you brought up filler words because a lot of people, man, are all over the place with that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Awesome. Those are two great points. So kind of shifting gears here, the art of communication. So back in the ancient Greek Roman times, it was it was a it was a big thing. There wasn't a lot of stuff to do. So a an activity would consist of people going to maybe the plaza, town square, town center, and giving speeches, having debates and everything. And people really had a strong mastery of the written and spoken language. And then here we are today in 2019, about to be 2020. We see people tweeting, text messages, poorly written emails, and just the the art and the form of communication has kind of been so degraded, especially with technology over the last couple of decades. So how do you think if I were to have a teenage child right now, which knock on wood, I don't yet. They're all three of them are very young. <laughs> how would I, how would I instill into my teenage child who's writing U with the letter U and R with the letter, letter R and speaking in all kinds of this, this crazy gibberish, how would I instill upon that teenager that it is important to be able to write effectively and, you know, kind of not look like an idiot when you're trying to speak or communicate with someone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's hard because like you said, um, society has gotten to a point where it's become acceptable. And, and to your point, people used to prioritize being able to speak eloquently and being able to memorize verse and that was a sign of status. And that's why you saw Absolutely. things like memory palaces. You know, people used to memorize to the best that they possibly, the best of their ability. They tried to, to memorize extremely well. And so they came up with these elaborate um, tricks for your brain to be able to memorize entire novels. And so the priority has really shifted to now where it's just about instant communication, instant gratification. And the the issue there is that people have shifted away from thinking for themselves to letting people think for them. And that's why, or that's, that's why there's a a, a lapse of leadership just in general. And I think you and I have talked about that offline a little bit, but where we've got this, this vacuum of, of leadership that's, that's left the room. There's a void for leadership and, and that's just in general. But the, the issue now is that people are on this common playing field and they're letting people do the thinking for them. And I would argue that you don't really know what you think until you write or speak. And when you're... That's true. Yeah. And, and, and when, you, when you don't put your thoughts on a, on a sheet of paper, or you don't prioritize proper spelling and punctuation, then you're, you're telling your body, you're, you're communicating to yourself that attention to deta- detail isn't necessary and that uh, y- you, don't, you don't care what you think. You're just you're there to communicate. And so if you ever wanted to learn what you think, you must first write down your thoughts and spell them out and formalize them to where you can have sort of a a, a framework or a structure of, of what you believe. And that I think is, is part of having a good life uh, to where you can, you can identify what your thoughts are and your beliefs are, but it, it, it first takes writing it on, on, on paper and, and, uh, 
becoming a leader in society. And as a leader, you can, you can show people what the standard looks like, what right looks like. And I think that's how you can start to break that mold, that pattern. But for, for young people, you know, that, that don't prioritize spelling and that their communication is poor and sloppy, that's what they're, that's, that's what they're familiar with, but they, they haven't been taught how to think for themselves. And it starts with thinking for yourself and becoming a leader of your friends, of your peers, uh, in business, in your family. And we, we've talked about that extensively, but uh, becoming a leader in general and taking a stand for yourself and taking a stance on uh, proper sp- spelling, speaking, writing, and and becoming that standard bearer. Jeez, I I couldn't have said that any better myself. That's uh, That's awesome. And again, everything you said with leadership is spot on. And wow, powerful words there, Tom. I appreciate that. That's great. Mm-hmm. With uh, with all that stuff being said, kind of it was a perfect segue into the next question I was going to ask you is how important is it today to be able to speak, write, and communicate well? Well, so in the business world, and I think in the military world, just in general, uh, in the in the professional setting, I think it says a lot about you as a person. And so fortunately or unfortunately, uh, if you speak or write poorly, it's indicative of your education or kind of status in the world, uh, your, your background. And so it's very easy for someone to write you off if you spell or write poorly. It just tells them that this is the level of education and preparation that you are bringing to that position. So if it's in class, for example, and you have a teacher and it's your first day of school, or your first day of of that semester, and you all are required to write a paragraph, for example, and your paragraph has poor spelling, poor punctuation, it tells that parent or it tells that instructor where your anchor point is. And if you can elevate your anchor point across the board, if it's speaking, writing, reading, if you can elevate that anchor point, then you will be much, much better off because it takes, it, it doesn't take as much of a struggle to uh, to to increase your position or to to gain from where you started off. If you if you elevate your level of play by having a high anchor point or a, an elevated anchor point, then it's it's easier to maintain that. But uh, on the other hand, if if you walk into a job interview and and your resume that you hand them is is poorly written, it it doesn't flow well. It doesn't tell a story. It doesn't have a theme. It doesn't tell who you are. That anchor point is set, and it's very very difficult to wiggle away from that anchor point once you've already set it for yourself. So I'd say if you're listening, do yourself a favor and, and, and learn to speak well, learn to communicate well, because that sets an anchor point for people to perceive you. And if you establish the rules, if you establish the, the bounds of, of uh, their expectations, then it's easier for you to progress in life. Yeah. And whether it's right or wrong, I can tell you, when I'm speaking with someone or I receive an email from someone, perhaps I don't know, and there's poor, poor, uh, gramma- poor grammar, the person speaks poorly, I, I automatically am asking myself questions and judging them on their trustworthiness, their competence, and their credibility. So again, I don't think a lot of people realize that, but how you carry yourself and how you speak and how you write People will make assessments about you as a human being, as a leader, as whatever you are at your job. 
based on those things. So it is of the utmost importance that you don't have to be the best at it. Maybe you're not good right now, but that you're aware of it at the very least and are working to, like you said, raise the anchor point, raise your personal anchor point with those things. Yeah. And it's, it's not just writing and, and speaking and, and drafting emails. It's everything that you do that communicates who you are as a person, what things you pay attention to. And it can be uh, the, the, the shining of your shoes if, if you're going to a job interview or if you're in the military, it's, uh, it's you know, making sure that your blouses are, are tucked or that you don't have strings hanging off your uniform. It's the attention to detail. And that's, that's harped upon in the military. But I think that the reason as to why is left out. And, and the why is because it communicates who you are. And they are little micro expressions of what you care about, which is, is why it's so important. And people that have been in the military or that evaluate interviewees or applicants, they look for those small things. I'll tell you that from personal experience, I used to interview applicants for scholarships for Air Force ROTC. And I would look at those micro expressions of, of their overall character. And that's why it's so incredibly important is to pay attention to the small things and learn the basics, the fundamentals of communication, body language, uh, and, and presentation so that you can carry that forward and be uh, a better person and have a, a higher anchor point for overall communication with the rest of the world. So with that being said, what are some, uh, what are say three of the things that you look for when you're evaluating how a person carries his or herself? So I, I look for what's their opinion of themselves. Do they, do they value their own opinion and not, not in a, in a, in a bad way, not in an arrogant way, but do they know that they can affect the outcomes around them? And what do I mean by that? So um, if, if they walk into the office and uh, they give me a suggestion, for example, or they're interviewing for a position and I, I ask them, uh, you know, what their opinion of X is, and they give me a very passive response, then I know that they don't view themselves as someone who can actually affect an outcome. Uh, but if they give me an active response and, you know, this is X, Y, Z of what I would do, then I, I know that this person takes themselves very seriously and that they're more engaged with life in general. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is their, their overall appearance. You know, have they paid attention to the small things, kind of what we alluded to in the past? Um, you know, are, they, are their shoes tied? Um, are, uh, you know, do they have a stain of, of mustard on their shirt? Um, it's, it's, it can be obvious. It can be uh, easy to detect, but it can be small as well. And you can kind of get that. It's just an aura, an, an aura that they have about their presence. Um, and, and then the third thing... Um, with regard to communication, I think it's, it's, uh, how they, how they communicate in general. And what I mean by that is, do they give you short responses that leave you kind of uh, with a void in your, in your, in, in, and what you're looking for? Do they, do they elaborate? Do they tell a story? And there's, there's kind of three tiers to that. When you, when you ask for a response, uh, are they just giving you a, a one sentence response? Uh, and then the second tier is, you know, if you ask for a response and they give you, you know, maybe a paragraph and they, they say, oh, this is, this is, this, uh, this is my response and this is why, and this is because, um, you know, that's the, that's the second tier. But then the third tier is they say, this is the theme of my life. Uh, this is why I'm pursuing what I'm doing. Uh, this is why it's important to me right now. And this is the outcome that I achieved. And this is what I'm looking forward to doing in the future. And so you have these tiers of responses and those give you an overall indication of where that person is mentally and how well they communicate. So it's kind of those three things that I look for. And that's just kind of off the cuff. I haven't really 
thought about it too in depth, but um, if I were to evaluate sort of the algorithm that I use to assess people, whether it's for an interview uh, via scholarship for a scholarship, or if it's for uh, a subordinate that I have, those are sort of the things that I look for uh, that give me an indication of how seriously to take this person. Sure. Those are all solid things, solid assessments to make on someone. And it's kind of thinking of what I look at when I do the same thing for people. Yeah. It's uh, it's a lot of the same things, you know, Nothing is more frustrating sometimes when you're interviewing someone for a position and you ask them a question to or to give an opinion on something and you just get a wishy-washy, um, I'm trying to not offend anybody or say the wrong thing answer. I mean, that is so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that tells them kind of where they're at mentally. Um, if, they're, if they're truly committed to that position or if they're truly committed to that scholarship, and that tells you a lot about their, their overall intent and, and what they're hoping to achieve from, from that meeting. All right. Well, I just have two more questions. They should be pretty quick ones. So with in, in all of social media that you see going on today, YouTube, other podcasters, or a ver- the various different mediums that are out there, who would you say are some of the most well-spoken people on the internet or in our society today? There, I'd say there's a lot out there. Um, the majority of TED speakers uh, that are out there are, are very, very well-spoken Um a couple of the more influential in my life that I appreciate um, are uh, Ryan Holiday and Tim Ferriss. They're they're very direct, very deliberate, um, and they, they've both given high level, high quality uh, speeches. Uh, Ryan's a professional speaker now. He's he's very precise in the language that he uses. Uh, Tim is very inquisitive and very intentional about the language that he uses. Um, but those are those are two that are influential in my life. I'd say some of the better public speakers that I've seen in the past, you know, 25 years. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not include, regardless of your political affiliation, uh, President Obama. Um, he's a, an incredible Absolutely. speaker, and you know, uh, I, I give credit where it's due. One of the best speakers of our time, and I think that's what helped him to get elected. And I've I've learned a lot from him in terms of emphasis on communication, emphasis on points. And when to pause, when to reflect, when to inflect, and uh, I'd say those are three that that I would I would recommend paying attention to. There's there's many out there right now, especially with the the rise of of TED speaking, allowing all of these powerful speakers their chance to shine. There's there's so many people to learn from. If if that's what your your goal is to learn how to speak well, awesome. Yeah, I mean the TEDx concept and speeches that go on all over the country are just outstanding giving many strong speakers the opportunity to preach their message and just, you know, hone their communication skills and put out their awesome content. But I have to agree with you for Barack Obama. He is like the master of the tactical pause in speaking. He would say something, have a pause where it's just absolute silence to make sure that his point set across, and then he would continue going on hitting the rest of his bullets. So again, regardless of political affiliation, the guy was a master orator. He was, absolutely. And then my final question, a little bit on the less serious side. What is like the number one thing that people do when they are speaking or talking to you that just drives you absolutely crazy? There's, there are a lot that drive me crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just having having been an instructor, having been in the public eye, um, you know, thinking about the things that drive me crazy, probably the thing that drives me the most nuts 
is um, people not looking at you when they speak to you. And it, it might just be because they're thinking um, or it might be just because that's that's the habit that they've gotten into. But I, I really appreciate solid eye contact, especially when you're communicating one-on-one and, and in person. Uh, you know, over Zoom, that's okay. Over Skype, that's fine. I get it. Um, but I feel like there's a, there's, there's a requirement or there's, there's a power in communicating with eye contact and, and knowing that this person is engaged in the conversation. If, if they, if they have their phone in their hand, that's, that's another, another piece or another, uh, communication via body language that tells me that they're just really, really not interested in this conversation. But I, I'd say, yeah. And it's, if, if they're on their phone and they're talking to me, that would really, really flip my switch. But, um, yeah, I'd say eye contact is big because that tells me that they're engaged and present, uh, with the conversation that we're having. Yeah. Eye contact is huge. And I can tell you, I think if, especially if it's one way communication where you're in front of a large group speaking to them, like eye contact, solid, intentional, correctly used eye contact is kind of like an extension of you and your aura where you can just kind of reach out and, and almost touch the people that you're really talking to. So yes, I think eye contact is extremely powerful. And I actually was planning on doing a whole episode eventually on eye contact. So I'm so glad you brought that up. I think it's terrible when people do not make eye contact with you. And I think it's a little disrespectful also. Mm-hmm. And a hack, if, you, if you're listening and you're about to give a presentation, if you don't like making eye contact, sometimes you don't always want to make eye contact. You can look directly above the head of the people that you're looking at. And it's just a little hacked where you don't have to make that contact. But it seems like as a as a an audience member that you are making contact with every person you look at. And so you can just be staring into space. But as long as you're staring into space directly above their head, kind of right around their their um, their forehead area, uh, it looks like you're making eye contact, but it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable while doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Stare at the back of the room or right over their heads, like you said. Awesome, mm-hmm. awesome point and, and tip. So uh, we're about out of time. Um, anything else you want to add for closing comments here, Tom? No, I mean, uh, I, I think that communication in general uh, has, has, like you mentioned, very it, it's degraded over the past couple of years. And I think it's primarily contributed to, or it's, it's because of, uh, the pervasiveness of technology and how and how uh, technology has become such an influential factor in our lives to where we've used it as a crutch for strong, powerful, effective communication and getting back to the the core tenets or the principles of effective communication would really, really be beneficial just in terms of progress that you could make for yourself personally and professionally. Yeah, outstanding. Great points. And Again, just to wrap it up, everybody, this was Tom Hart, host of the Traction Growth and Income Podcast. Where can the listeners see more about what you're doing and uh, contact you to get some more information about what you're doing? Sure, yeah. If you wanted to check out the podcast, it's at tgitools.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at tgitools. That's T-G-I-T-O-O-L-S. Um, and we're on Facebook at that extension as well. Awesome stuff. Well, Tom, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure speaking with you about all these things. And again, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon.